This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. There are moments in life that you'll never forget. Memories you'll pass on to your children, and they'll pass on to theirs. They'll be talked about when friends come together as myth, lore, and legend. These are Tales from the Tailgate. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. If you're familiar with us, then you're going to know today's guest. We've had a laugh or two at his expense, and he's thrown a few at us. So, as always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Trev. And Trev, if you do us a favor, please uh, reiterate our wonderful guest. Yeah, this is our good buddy, Damien. If you have heard any podcasts in the past, you've definitely heard Damien, a.k.a. we call him Ken. So, what's up, Damien? How are you, buddy? What's going on, fellas? How's everything, man? Great, man. Season's kicked off here, so uh, been busy trying trying to get out there and chase whitetails. Yeah, you you've been you've you've had a busy season right from the start of September, man. Yeah, yeah, I got uh, lucky and uh, drew a, an elk tag in uh, New Mexico. I actually, I drew one in 2019. Um, then my buddy drew one in uh, 2020, and then I we both drew one in 2021. So. Um, Went back out to New Mexico this year and uh, got to chase around some elk. Dude, that's awesome. So this has been something that you've kind of been setting yourself up to for quite some time now. Yeah, uh, this is uh, the third. Uh, the first time I went to New Mexico is 2012. And then I didn't draw for a couple years. And uh, then I got, I was trying to draw just as a non-resident. And uh, then I got hooked up with uh Isaiah Gonzalez uh, out of uh, Primetime Outfitters and started applying through the Outfitter pool. And uh, two of the last three years that I've applied with them, I, I've i drawn and my buddy Dave has drawn all three. So pretty, uh, pretty, pretty fortunate. So what is what was the attraction to New Mexico over any other state that you've hunted before? Um, you know, I'm I guess I'm I'm. I don't know if you want to call it lazy, whatever, but I like <laughs> the idea of hundred percent lottery. I don't like the points game and, you know, to, I, I just hate that. And, um, New Mexico's hundred percent lottery. I honestly, when I went there in 2012, I used to 
film for a hunting television show. And uh, I went, I, I got to go hunting out there on a private ranch tag uh, in 2012 and got a little taste of it out there. And, uh, you know, after that, I just wanted to go back every year and was applying and failing and applying and failing. And, you know, there's a little bit of a, a system that you can kind of play to, to better your odds if you know what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I was going to buy another private ranch tag and my buddy, Kevin, uh, that I went out there with in 2012, he's a phenomenal taxidermist and, uh, Missouri and he became really good friends with the outfitter and uh does all of his um taxidermy work for him and everything and and pretty much I, I don't know what their deal is but I'm pretty sure he does it for a ranch tag uh every year and he's hunted with him pretty much every year since and I called him up and I was like hey man do you think Brian has any ranch tags and He's like, nah, probably not for this year. He sells sells out, you know, and he said, uh, and it was right when the lottery was getting ready to be put in. And he's like, but honestly, if I wasn't loyal to Brian, he's like, this guy out here, he's he's a local legend. Um, I, I would go with him. The guy lives in the mountains. He knows every elk in the mountains. And uh, he's got a reputation for killing the biggest bulls in the units that he, uh, he goes in for. So. I got got a hold of him, and he's a younger dude. He's only thirty one, I think, and uh, he's he's just a beast, man. He's uh, Isaiah Gonzalez. If you get on him, follow him on uh, Instagram. The guy goes out and shed hunts. He finds enough elk sheds that he started up a dog chew business, and uh, he sells elk antlers and makes uh, elk furniture. And uh, you know, he he shows uh, videos on Instagram where they're coming out of the mountains with, you know, 150 pounds of elk antler on their back. It's just crazy. And, uh, so I would, I put in with him for that, that, uh, in 2019 and, uh, my buddy Dave and I drew and it was just a, a phenomenal hunt. And he had us in, you know, elk, great elk every day. And, uh, we both tagged out on six by six bulls. And then the next year we went back when I just went as kind of because I wanted to go. Uh, and my buddy Dave shot like a 320 bull uh, the next year. Um, and then this year we went back and we both shot, you know, great six by sixes. Um, mine was, I scored him, you know, I'm not a professional elk scorer, but I scored him at just over 320. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but. Um, and then Dave's was right there with mine. His was actually a really old bull. Um, he just, uh, he wasn't past his prime, but he just, you know, he, um, wasn't a was mega a giant, but we were chasing a mega giant. Um, it was, but it was an amazing trip. You know, you talk about elk hunting and success odds are, you know, nine, 10%, you know, nationwide and, you know, I'm a hundred percent every time I've gone elk hunting. So there you yeah, go. It, uh, it's pretty awesome. So why don't we get into the meat and potatoes, honestly? Why don't you yep. kind of lay us lay us into the hunt? Like, you know, you get into New Mexico and kind of the tolls and the things that you kind of went through, um, you know, the trials and tribulations. Sure, man. Uh, so we drive from Ohio. Uh, it's a 25-hour drive for us. We get there the day before uh, the season opened, and uh, it, it – <laughs> 
it's funny because uh, Isaiah, out of some bad choice, uh, ended up having his wife pregnant and due right in the middle of our hunt. So I don't know how he did it, but he sweet talked the doctor to inducing labor to the day before our hunt started. Um, so we, uh, he wasn't there for the first two days. Um, and I hunted with, uh, Jordan, one of his guides, who's a great hunter, you know, he, he knew right where to get into the elk and, um, first morning out. So we got there, we get our camp set up and, uh, went out that night listening for some bugles and heard a few, but it was kind of warm that night. So they weren't real talkative. And, uh, next morning, uh, we got up and, Headed in, and it wasn't uh, long after daylight. We heard some bulls bugling, and we started kind of stalking in. They were talking enough to where we could kind of just head at them, you know. And uh, we got uh, – we probably went – it took us probably, I don't know, quarter of a mile, half a mile, somewhere like that. And we finally laid eyes on him, and he was a really nice bull. Um, had phenomenal brows, fronts, and his thirds were just – they were probably 18, 20 inches swept way out and uh, looked phenomenal. And then he turned sideways and he had weak tops. Like his fifths and his sixths were just really, they were just little forks, you know. And, uh, you know, Jordan's like, you know, we we can kill him. He's heading to that saddle. We can beat him. We can drop off the backside, get the saddle, and he'll come right into us. We don't even have to call. Um, but, opening day and the first bull we seen i was like i i don't i don't think i want that one i'm i like tops if i'm going to sacrifice anything i'm going to i'm going to sacrifice the fronts the brows and <laughs> and maybe some thirds i love big tops to me that's what makes a bull look big and uh so we backed out of them those elk and uh, we topped over a ridge and got on to another bull that was bugling he you know and uh I'm, you know, fairly uh, confident in my, my stalking ability and we, which works out well that the, the guy doesn't have to be with me. He'll drop back call. I'll stalk in. And, uh, on this situation, I stalked in on a small six by six, maybe a 270 type six by six with a couple cows and had him at uh, about 40 yards um, bugling. I filmed him on my cell phone. I could have shot him pretty easily. He was standing there looking over the hillside, just bugling, looking away. You know, was, I was like, why couldn't you be a 350? Right. <laughs> you know, <of> so, <laughs> but, uh, um, so they, uh, they ended up topping over the ridge, never knew we were there. I dropped back to Jordan and, uh, we kind of topped over the hillside. And as we topped over the hillside, we looked up and just cresting over a hill, was a big bull. All you saw was big, heavy beams, and we're like, whoa. And he threw up the binos, and he could see as he was topping over the hill, he's like, that bull had at least seven on his right side. And I'm like, oh, that's that's nice. So we circled around. There's a big water hole there. We circled around, made a few calls, trying to get him. Never bugled, never made a word. And it start, was starting to get warm. You know, it was probably 10 o'clock in the morning by, by this time. And... uh we started kind of heading back out the way we came in and we heard a bull bugle and it, it didn't sound like it had a great bugle, but I like stalking bugles. <laughs> so, so we kind of just, uh, 
we started heading his way and he wasn't bugling a lot and it was just kind of half-hearted stuff, you know, and, and it was just enough that he would bugle. I could, I could go 50, 60, 70 yards. He'd bugle again. You'd stand there for a few minutes. He'd bugle again. You could creep forward. And uh, I got up to a position where I felt like I was really close to him. And there's kind of a brushy draw there. I had the wind in my favor. Um, so I, uh, I elected to give him a, a, a challenge bugle. Well, I, I did a location bugle, which is more of a, it's not a very aggressive bugle. If you've ever elk hunted, you can, it's kind of just a, you hit a high and, and cut the note off, you know? And as soon as I did that, he just screamed back and he was like under a hundred, you know, I mean, he just ripped back at me. And the last thing I wanted to do was get locked down. If he was coming in, I did not want to get locked down where I called from. So I quickly tried to drop back 30 yards or so in case he tried circling downwind of me. And as I was moving, I looked across the canyon and he had already got up on his feet and he was a mega giant. Um, he, uh, in my eyes, he, he's a 360 bull. He was uh, a seven by eight, just huge all by himself, you know, had no interest in anything. I bugled at him one time. He bugled back and was leaving. Like he wasn't spooked. He was just walking away. And uh, so we let him go and we felt like we knew where he was going that evening. Um, we went in that evening, couldn't locate him, never heard him. And that was the, pretty much the end of the, I take that back that evening. I, uh, before I get ahead of myself, um, stalked in on another bull that was bugling. He was raking a tree and, and screaming his head off. And uh, I dropped over the mountain and stalked in on him. And I come around the bush and he was a really nice bull. Um, he was probably 300 inch in that ballpark, six by six just a beautiful bull had a one brow time that kind of curved right straight down in front of his eye. Gotcha. And I stood there when I came around the corner at first, I was like, oh, I'm killing him. And then I kind of put myself together and gained my composure. And I was like, ah, not ready to kill him either. So, um, I stood there and I filmed him on my phone for about 15 minutes, raking that tree and bugling and chuckling. And it's some pretty, pretty badass video. Um, then that was the end of that evening. Uh, day two, uh, we uh, got we were looking for that big bull. Um, we seen him uh, right after daylight. We got on him, and uh, he was with four cows this day, and he was just screaming his head off. And he was on the opposite ridge from us, and they were heading towards the saddle. There was a couple other bulls in there, kind of bringing up satellite bulls, kind of bringing up the rear that he was kind of trying to keep back. And uh, we tried to hit, head him off and beat him to the saddle where they were going to top over the ridge. And right as we got down in the bottom, we heard two elk come together and just smash. And they were going at it. And uh, they're probably 200 yards from us. Um, the uh, Jordan, the guy, he actually filmed it from the up above us. He was probably 400 yards behind us up on the ridge. And he actually filmed them kind of uh, posturing to one another they, they kept like bushes in between them and they walked back and forth along these bushes. And then when they came back down, 
they came around the end of the bushes and they didn't even hesitate. They, as soon as they came around the end of the bush, they just smashed together. Man, it was pretty awesome. awesome. And uh, it ended up being uh, the six by six that I had stocked in on the night before. And uh, they fought for about 10 minutes in hindsight. I could see their butts every once in a while as they were pushing. I should have just ran at them and shot them um, as they were preoccupied because it was a knockout drag out fight. They weren't just sparring. Yeah, you know? they weren't paying attention and, but, to anything else. No, but the my my concern was uh, the cows. He had four cows, and then the one of the satellite bulls when that happened was trying to push the cows yep. away from him, and they were in between directly in between the fighting bulls and us. And I was afraid if I ran out there, like the cows always do, they run back to the bull yeah. and the jig would have been up. So I elected not to do that, but I did beat them to the saddle. I had the cows coming right through to me and that stupid little satellite bull dropped down low <laughs> and pushed them up the, the ridge just, and they topped probably 80 yards from me. And uh, the bull, when he stopped fighting, he come through and he, he started heading that way. And I tried to cut the distance as he was, you know, coming a, a quarter and across the hill. But he topped uh, topped the ridge just just out of, well, actually, the only tree. I had like an 80-yard lane I could have shot him. And he topped the hill uh, just on the, the backside of the first bush that was <laughs> awesome. Of course. So, Why not? Of course. Right. So uh, that was the end of day two. Um, Isaiah uh, came into camp that night. His wife, you know, she had the baby induced on the 14th. And then the 15th, 16th, he stayed with her. Um, and then the night of the 16th, he came in. 17th, he and I uh, was our first day hunting together. Um, we went out looking for that big bull again. Couldn't find him. Uh, we did get back on that six by six that I stalked in on and fought with the big bull. And he had eight cows with him at this point. And, uh, he was quite the aggressive bull and some satellites. And we stalked in on him, didn't know what they were. They were just talking a lot and, uh, got in on him. And then we had a satellite bull, uh, come around the bush and bust us and started barking and went trotting off. And they didn't like clear the county but they just kind of he pushed his cows up the ridge and we weren't trying to kill him anyway so we backed out and uh that uh while he was bugling and we were stalking in on him every time he would bugle way off in the distance you'd hear a bull bugle and that bull would bugle and this bull we were stalking would bugle back but they were three quarters of a mile apart i mean they were a long ways and uh after that bull pushed up the ridge, we kind of sat there for a minute and that bull bugled again. I said, hey, you want to go after him? You know, it, um, we could do it. And he's like, well, it's getting kind of late in the morning. It's starting to get hot. He's like, more than likely he's going to shut up. And, you know, I'm not one to, to just, uh, give up. So I'm like, well, if he shuts up, he shuts up, but you know, let's go give it him a try. So, uh, we dropped down, we dropped some elevation and he, probably cut the distance in about half and uh, Isaiah did a, a bugle and the bull answered back and you could just barely hear him. So we knew he was over the next Ridge. So we dropped down, went up the other hillside, got to the top of the Ridge, eased across the Ridge. And there was a big bowl there that was pretty thick with some juniper thicket and just, you know, uh, looked like he was probably bedded in there. We assumed, and uh, we were going to bugle at him 
to uh, see where he was at. And Isaiah had to bugle about four inches from his lips. And now you just hear a, he just did this like deep groan in his bed, you know, and they were like, oh crap, he is literally, you know, a hundred yards right here on top of us. So we elected, uh, we had no clue what he was. We just knew he was there. And uh, we elected, we were going to, I was going to drop off the, the hillside a little bit. So typically the elk, when they're coming into you, they'll stay at the same elevation and wrap around the hillside. So I wanted to get the wind in my favor and slightly below his elevation where he's at now. So I dropped down the hill, Isaiah backed up and he did two just little tiny cow calls and I could barely hear him. And he was 50 yards from me and that bull heard him from a hundred yards away or more. And he just screamed. And like the other ones are kind of half-hearted bugles. And this one, like, it was just like guttural, like, squealing just straight on just awesome and uh so within probably i don't know 30 seconds of that i started hearing some rocks rolling and and you could hear him over there moving around on the hillside and then i could see his feet so the way the juniper are you know you get about three feet from the ground level up about three feet is kind of fairly open and when the elk are in there, you can see their feet a lot of times, but you can't see them. And uh, that was exactly what was going on there. I'm looking across that bowl, and I could see his feet moving, and he was walking, and uh, he was heading our way. And he hit 70 yards, and he started raking a tree, and the tree I could see the tree top shaking and had no clue what, uh, what he was yet. And I'm sitting there, you know, waiting on him, and Isaiah – didn't call anymore, you know, after those first two or three soft yell, uh, mews. And uh, the bull front turns, starts coming my way. I can see his feet coming to me, so I kind of clip on just in case. And, you know, it's it's 1030 in the morning at this point, and sun's full, full sun's up, and his antlers came through an opening, and I saw his top on his right side, actually. And I saw a really good fifth and a really good sixth and a little seventh. And that sealed its fate. In my mind, this <laughs> bull's going to die, you know? And he's probably at this point, he's probably 60 yards coming through the thicket. And uh, as he's coming in, he kind of comes in right at about 40 yards. He comes out to where I can see him. It's really brushy, but I can, I can full on see him. I get a great look. His rack is just shining in that sun. And I'm like, this is a good bull. So he's walking, kind of quartering to me at about 50. And there's one juniper tree that when he walks behind it, when he comes out the other side, I got a 15 to 20 yard wide open shooting lane out to 40 yards. So there's nowhere when he comes around that tree that he's not going to be in range, right? So I, I shoot the Garmin zero sight, so I didn't care. I didn't have to range him yet. All I had to do is get the full draw when it comes out the other side, range him, shoot him, you know? So that was my game plan. Well, I must have started drawing about a half a second too soon because as he was walking behind that that last juniper, I started drawing, and I'm in the shadows. I, I felt like I had pretty good cover. I started drawing, and at about half draw, he stops, 
takes a step backwards and swings his big ass head around the side of the tree and he's staring at I see at you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. and, uh, now he's, now if I'm at full draw and it's, I, I, luckily I hit record on my Tacticam. It's not great video because it focused on the deadfall in front of me, but uh, you can see him come around and you see his head kind of swing out the side of that tree and he's just staring me down and I'm at full draw and his head's like in a, I don't know, volleyball size hole, just looking at me. And I'm like, okay, this isn't good. How long can I hold this? You know? <laughs> so it ended up uh, at a, at a minute 30, I decided I'm going to lower my cam and try to set my cam on my thigh. Right. And you see my, my arm come down and the bull slowly drops out of camera sight. And for about 15 seconds, you're, you're looking at grass. Well, the bull at this point, is like okay, something's not right here. I'm 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 gonna leave. So I could tell by his body posture he was going to turn, and I figured that hole that he was staring at me at was you know volleyball size, basketball size, and when he turned, his vitals were going to be right in it, right? So he started making that turn, and I brought my arm back up, and and that shoulder opened up, and I just saw the money right there. And he saw me move on that last side and he looks back at me and I put that arrow right through that hole and hit him right behind the shoulder. Well, I didn't see where I hit him, but I heard it smacking and uh, he went whirling, running off back the way he came, he ran about a hundred yards. And uh, I heard him stop over there. He heard it sound like he was struggling. And uh, I stood there for a second and I walked over to uh, Isaiah and uh, obviously he heard me shoot and Right about that time, we heard, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a good sign when you hear that. Oh, yeah. So we gave him a little bit of time and uh, went down to where uh, I thought he was standing. And I was about 10 yards north of where I thought he was and took him where he really was. It just, you know, your mind in that excitement is things look different. And uh, we found blood pretty quick within probably 15 yards of the impact of the, the arrow and uh, had enough blood. We started following it down and we just started going, you know, the direction we last heard him. And uh, about the last spot we heard him, we come around the, this bush and he was laying right there. So he went about a hundred yards total. He ended up being uh, a, a great six by seven bull. Um, just beautiful. He's on the wall there behind me. Um, yeah, I'm going to flip a light on and, uh, you can see him a little better. There you go. But, uh, you know, he's just a beautiful bull. Um, he's definitely not the 360 we were chasing, but he's, he's well, uh, you know, he's into the three hundreds for sure. Um, just a beautiful bull, great shape, nice heart shape to his rack. Just everything about him. I mean, that's, that's 160 inch white tail and 145 inch white tail beside him. So. Yeah, <laughs> that gives you pretty good perspective. Wow. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, he dwarfs everything in the house, so it's pretty awesome. That's wild, yeah. man. So, what was kind of like your thoughts once you had released the arrow? Like, you knew that you had hit him, you smoked him. Well, I didn't see the arrow hit, you know, and, and everything. You know, I, I'm a pretty good shot, I would say, above average, and uh, you know the. It, it was pretty quick and I heard the rib pop, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And when you hear that, there's a different sound between hitting gut and hitting shoulder and, and that, that chest thump. And I heard that chest thump and that made me feel pretty confident, but they're big animals. And you, know, you hear horror mm-hmm. stories of guys hitting them and never finding them. And so you're, you know, you're never, um, too overconfident, or at least I'm never over overconfident when I'm, when I shoot one, um, but when, when I heard that cough, I, I felt really good about it. Um, and it was, uh, it, it's pretty amazing. I'm not a religious person by any means, but like when you walk up on those animals, you know, it's, um, it's very, um, I mean, what's the word I want to look for? It's, um, kind of grounds you, I guess, you know, they're, they're such amazing animals and, you know, the, they, they give their life to let us go out there and, and, and chase them. And, you know, then nature's not easy, you know, they're going to die one way or the other, but right. to, to give me, you know, a, a memory for the rest of my life. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's very, uh, um, I don't, again, I don't, I don't know. Like what humbling. I'm, humbling. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's, that's a, a good way of putting it. It's, um, very, very humbling. And I, uh, I, I it's, it's awesome. That's I, crazy, I, dude. I would gladly never shoot another whitetail <laughs> if I could hunt, bow hunt elk in New Mexico every year. I'm, gladly. I'm with you 100% on that statement. There's nothing like yeah. it. I mean, maybe it's because I've been fortunate and killed a bunch of whitetails, but to, to me, being out in the mountains, uh, you know, one-on-one, you know, pursuing the elk and just everything about it is just amazing. And it's, I just love it. There's, there's, it's so rewarding and, uh, I don't it just everything. I'm a loss for words, even just starting <laughs> to think about it, you know, it's like, it, I don't it really I, is I, hard I, to explain. I, I don't have the words to describe how it makes you feel like that. I've nothing I've ever hunted and I, I've shot a bunch of species or several species. I should say has ever the first elk I killed was just a raghorn and that I was, I, that was for when I was filming for the, the television show and that elk, about had me in tears like when when that elk talked over like i was doing my damnedest to hold my composure together because i knew i was on camera and and i couldn't like i couldn't form sentences like i you you know your eyes are welling up and and even you know three elk later um when you walk up on them you just you get this like lump in your throat and you're you know you're incredibly thankful you know, that, that animal, you know, gave his life for you. You know, it's just, it, they're, they're amazing. That's awesome, man. Really appreciate you sharing that tale. You know, you don't hear a lot about the elk stories and what everyone goes through out West. And and you got really the full taste of every aspect of the hunt. You got to see a little bit of everything, experience a little bit of everything and you got it done. You know, and a yeah. lot of people that hunt elk don't get to experience that. You know, it's drag, 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 and then you hope for that one good opportunity. And you really got to just take it all in. And I think that's another reason why I love 
being able to go to New Mexico because it sure over the counter sounds great, but everybody I know that goes to over the counter, I won't say everybody, 95% of everybody that goes to over the counter come back with horror stories of how the units overrun with people and they hunted yep. for 10 days and heard one bugle, but it may have been a hunter, you know, it's that, that sort of thing. And, you know, when I've hunted New Mexico, you see hunters, but, um, very, very few because it's limited entry. So they're, the units aren't overrun and I feel like you can get away from them. If you pack in far enough, you get, you do get away from, whereas I think the over the counter guys have that mentality. I got to go in deep. So everybody now goes in deep and it's just overrun with people. Whereas in New Mexico, you don't have to go in deep, but if you do, you get away from everybody. And, you know, my buddy, Dave, the bull he killed, um, it, it was uh, a, a rough pack out for us. Cause it was the last day our guide or his guide had to go. He worked for the state of New Mexico. He had to go back to work the next day. And uh, we didn't recover until the next morning. We just weren't confident on the shot. And so we backed out. It was supposed to be cool. So he and I and the cook went in, old Johnny Smith. And uh, we, we found the bull. He only went another 120 yards from where we left off. And we, we quartered him up. And, I mean, it was an all-day pack out. We started oh, yeah. packing meat at a.m. And we didn't finish till 7 o'clock that night. It was two miles in to tracking two miles out carrying 90 pounds of meat, two miles in, two miles out carrying <laughs> meat. So, I mean, it was, and it was just a, you know, it's a 16 mile day packing meat. You know, that's, that takes a toll on your body and you carry it and you drop that pack off at camp. And it, it you know, that feeling you get when you, when uh, you take roller skates off where you're kind of equilibrium goofy. <laughs> yeah. It was that way dropping that pack off my back. I kept feeling like I was falling forward. Yep. Like my whole, my whole body, I just felt had this like feeling that I was falling forward because I, I took that pack off and had it on so long. But uh, you know, so we, uh, we got a, the full taste of it. Mine was uh, we got lucky and he died um, close to private ranch, actually like 50 yards from the private ranch property line. And, but it was just a thin, narrow strip, and uh, he could take um, – he had uh, the cook at camp there. He drove an hour and 40 minutes all the way around and uh, came in the backside to that private property on uh, National Forest there where, where you could end. You can get an ATV, and uh, we, we only had to go around the private, and, and uh, we went back – to the ATV in, in a short ways. It was still a long ride out of there, but it sure be a lot better than packing them for sure. Yeah. So well, outstanding Damien, thank you for joining us. It's been a really good show and I uh, hope everybody yeah, enjoyed that guys. tale. Always fun. As always. You, you bet. And uh, we'll just kind of leave it off there. Thanks for listening and you guys enjoy and stay tuned for the next tale.